Welcome to Alec Across the States. I'm your host, Dan Reynolds. Today we're going to be talking about a response to the 1619 Project. Joining me to discuss this first is from Alec, Sherry Street, our Vice President of Policy Advancement. Sherry, thank you so much for Zooming in today with me. Great to be here, Dan. Thank you. Of course. And we have Bob Woodson. He is the founder and president of the Woodson Center and also the founder of 1776 Unites. Bob, thank you so much for joining. Pleased to be here. And we also have Ian Rowe. He's the resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute and senior visiting fellow at the Woodson Center. Ian, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Of course. And I want to turn it over to Sherry to uh, begin our conversation today. Well, it's great that you could be here with us today, gentlemen. We've been so excited to have this chance to talk with you. Bob, I'm going to pick on you first. I've known you for more years than I'd like to admit. (laughs) Uh, So I won't go down that road. But you are also a good friend of Alec, and many of our members have talked with you in the past, and they're very familiar with the work that you've been doing through the Woodson Center that's revitalizing neighborhoods all over the country. So I don't believe, though, they may be as aware of the 1776 project that you have founded. And so I was wondering if we could start there by asking you to tell us about the mission of 1776 Unites and what motivated its founding. I think the best way to start, I'd like to start with a quote from my colleague, Josh Mitchell, that I think sets the framework for, for the challenge. But he says, we're either going to fortify our institutions and commitments to constitutional government or all be torn down and replaced by a ghastly dystopia in which the only thing that is relevant is our identity. Power will accrue to those who are woke and those Americans who want to build a world through family, church, and local communities will be purged. A political movement on the left that began with concerns for Black America ends up betraying Black America. And nowhere is that signs of that betrayal in 1619. It's the culmination of of a narrative that has developed over the years where the left is using the conditions of Black America historically as a bludgeon against this country. It it robes itself in the cloak of righteousness of the civil rights uh, movement and when, in fact, it quickly, uh, with the death of George Floyd, it quickly migrated from justice for blacks. It migrated to assault on the nuclear family as being Eurocentric and therefore racist. It ended up burning Bibles in Portland and also desecrating the Christian cross as being an example of white supremacy. It then went on to denigrate the police as an extension of white supremacy. So that's the setup. And so since they were using the black community as the bludgeon, we thought it was important that the messenger to challenge that also be led by blacks, although it participated. So we came together, uh, a group of scholars and also activists, and we formed 1776 Unites, like the real birthday of America is 1776, not 1619 at the time when slaves first arrived on the shores of this country. 1619 defines America as incurably racist and all white people are villains and and to be punished and all black people are victims to be compensated. And they leave it there. So we came together not to mount a debate, 
But instead, we wanted to offer a counter narrative that is inspirational and aspirational that refutes their assumptions about the problems of black America today are related to the legacy of slavery and discrimination. So our essays give a rich portrayal of black America, not only not just a legacy of slavery, but a legacy of self-determination, a legacy of resistance through performance. And so uh, we have offered in a curriculum and an eon is central to that. So we think it's important to counter that narrative with our own. And we were very pleased with the response that we're getting. We have a curriculum that's being led by Ian. And during this first three of seven days of uh, releasing our first three lessons, there are over 5,000 downloads. Wow. Which means there's a real thirst for it. When 1619, in the first year, their downloads were more like 4,500. So that's kind of where we are right now. And uh, I think that's kind of the background of it. Wow. I remember when that commentary was published, 1619, and uh, it seemed to me, from my perspective at least, that the academic community and historians were a little bit slow to respond. So I was really delighted to see that. I think you guys were 1776, um, were the first to really come out strongly. And so um, to that end, as an academic, why did you feel that um, this project from your perspective, was so important. And tell us a little bit about your your involvement. Well, Sherry and Dan, thank you again so much for having uh, Bob and I on. And it's always hard to follow the great Bob Woodson. Uh, <laughs> but in addition to being a resident fellow at AEI and, and a senior visiting fellow at the Woodson Center, for the last 10 years, I ran a network of public charter schools in the heart of the South Bronx and Lower East Side. And we had about 2,000 students, almost exclusively low-income students, Black and Hispanic students, who were all connected by one very simple idea, which is that their parents had great aspirations for their children to achieve the American dream. And our parents certainly face challenges in their own life and know that their kids might face challenges based on race, class, or gender. But the idea was that with a great school, great curriculum, high expectations of teachers, that their children could succeed at the highest levels. And so one of the most important things as a school leader is to instill within young people this idea of agency. Yes. That they have the power to control their own destiny through hard work, through by embracing the principles of hard work, faith, family, ultimately entrepreneurship, all of these things are elements where whole groups of people have moved from persecution to prosperity. So when the 1619 Project came out, they had a very different message. They were trying to establish that America is founded as a slaveocracy and not a democracy. 1619 Project claimed that the founding ideals were false when they were written that America has an anti-racism, or sorry, anti-black racism embedded in its DNA, which is a, you know, which is a, a metaphor for a permanent element. The very last thing our kids need to hear is that their country is rigged against them. When in fact, we have millions of examples of people past and present who in fact embraced 
the principles of free enterprise and hard work, family, faith, to actually achieve a level of success. And so, you know, under Bob's leadership, he launched 1776 Unites and me as a school leader, as someone who thinks deeply about issues of upward mobility, we had to have a strong counter to this nihilistic, destructive narrative. And ironically, the 1619 Project is now cratering under many of the falsehoods you know, they claim that the 16, the founding was 1619 and not 1776, and now they're backtracking against that. They claim that the Revolutionary War was founded to protect slavery. They're, they're backtracking. They're eliminating whole elements of what was online. So, you know, Shelby Steele has this great line where he says, when people can't handle their freedom, they reinvent their oppression. Mm. And it feels like the folks at the 1619 Project are trying to reinvent their oppression to create this sense of Black permanent victimhood as, as a vehicle for grievance. And 1776 Unite stands for entrepreneurship and agency and self-determination. And that's why I wanted to become part of it. Bob and Ian, can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, the reception of the project? How have people been responding to it? I know you talked earlier about getting a lot of downloads. Um, what have people been saying? I think that people have been really thirsty for examples of virtue in action. And so we are being deluged with, with calls, uh, civic groups, uh, grassroots groups, all are asking, is this all, for instance, as, he, as Ian said, what they're getting a pushback from is racial McCarthyism. And, and uh, people are tired of being shut down when they, when they begin to challenge us. But they're looking for substance, substantive answers to 1619. And what it's not enough to offer an argument, but you must offer counter evidence. And so in our essays, we have produced evidence to counter that. And, and that's what people are absorbing. The very fact that in our one of our essays between uh, 1920 and 1940, the education gap in the South between blacks and whites was eighth grade to fifth grade. And because of the creation of 5,000 Rosenwald schools, that gap was closed within six months in just 20 years at a time when racism was enshrined in law. So those are examples of the kind of revelations about the rich legacy of self-determination that gets buried with 1619. Uh, and uh, so we are producing a lot of content and evidence of uh, the falseness of their claims that Blacks are only victims to be pitied and compensated. And, and I would you know, continue or build upon that by saying I've had incredible outreach from both business leaders and philanthropic leaders who have been feeling enormous pressure to support organizations like Black Lives Matter, even though they fundamentally disagree with, you know, Black Lives Matter, as Bob said, you know, before they, they also scrubbed their website, were committed to the destruction of the nuclear family, committed to the abolishing police, committed to a moratorium on school choice and charter schools. But these leaders felt that they had no alternative. So they, they were doing performative things like, putting black squares on their corporate Instagram page or, or giving money to organizations like Black Lives Matter. But with 1776 Unites, they're actually hearing like, wow, there is there, first of all, there's a group of black leaders 
who are saying that there's a there's a very different view of the world and that we are not a monolithic community and that there are alternative ways to stand up for the values of free enterprise and faith and hard work, family, entrepreneurship, and that you as leaders don't have to go down this dark road of organizations like Black Lives Matter and what they stand for. I mean, there are the words Black Lives Matter, but there's the, what the institution itself stands for. Those are two very different things. And so, so I, I feel that there's a, a deep yearning for this kind of uh, counter narrative, because frankly, it's much more in line with the story of every group in this country that has come to America to succeed. And again, the core values around family, faith, hard work, the whole idea is that these values are accessible to everyone and that we are not permanent victims, hopelessly dependent on some other group to determine our destiny. In addition, I mean, we have to understand that a whole industry has now been built on the backs of poor Blacks. It's the exploitation of them. You have all these corporations are now requiring the employees to undergo race grievance training. One man in Virginia received a payment of $23,000 for a 45-minute speech on inclusion and equity. Uh, so there's a huge industry. Universities are hiring a six-figure equity uh, advisors, corporations are hiring. So a whole industry now has been uh, developed around the pathologies of Black America with no benefit to the people in whose name it's being collected. That's, that's amazing. I, um, I have to tell you that um, it's, I don't think that the messengers on that side realize how offensive that narrative is I mean, I look at my own self, you know, my family, they were, they migrated from the South to the North and uh, always, you know, even though America was primarily closed to them, they always understood the value of the family unit and encourage, you know, their children and um, their children's children like me, that you're limited only by your own will. So somewhere along the line, our community sort of lost that. And I'm glad to hear you guys talking about it again. Ian, our task force on education members have been long looking for solutions to how we are teaching history and civics in our country. Um, at our December meeting, we will be talking about that in the task force specifically. So um, since you were engaged in the creation of the curriculum, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So when the 1619 Project was first launched a year ago as a magazine issue, you know, obviously it made some pretty outrageous claims, which have now been discredited, but they decided to go further than just the magazine issue. They decided to partner with the Pulitzer Center mm -hmm. to create a curriculum. And so it was clear that they were not satisfied with just the magazine. They wanted to indoctrinate young people into this mindset that America is forever a racist country, that the founding ideals were false when they were written. And, and, and there were districts like Chicago, I actually think, made it a, the curriculum a mandated part of their high school curriculum. Uh, Buffalo, I think Philadelphia, Newark, 
These are some of the lowest performing academically school districts in the country. And on top of poor reading and math outcomes, now they're going to learn that all of their problems are because America is a racist country and hostile to their efforts. That is a lethal combination for young people. And so with 1776 Unites, we thought, in addition to the fact that we had a primarily Black leadership and we were writing essays to provide this counter meta narrative, it also seemed that we had to produce a curriculum, a high quality curriculum that could be placed in the hands of teachers. And by the way, our aspiration is not only that this curriculum would exist in school, but it could be in after school, it can be in churches, it could be placed in uh, pandemic pods, it can be homeschooling. Mm -hmm. Essentially, wherever character formation is happening for children, um, that's where we, um, we want. So we are right now in the midst of developing a curriculum that will be free to anyone in the country. It will ultimately be kindergarten through 12th grade. Uh, as Bob said a few weeks ago, right around Constitution Day, we've released the first three units of the curriculum. Everything, uh, and it's just at the high school level, the, everything is grounded in the 10 Woodson principles. And Bob may want to speak about this, but over his 40 years working with leaders in low-income communities, he's been able to distill those principles like resiliency witness, you know, that, that he believes and saw of how people were able to gain control of their own lives. And so every unit within the 1776 Unites curriculum is connected back to one of these 10 principles. And then the overall structure is that there's a look back component and a look forward component. The look back component basically celebrates stories of largely unknown African-American figures, past and present, who embraced the principles of free enterprise and faith and hard work to, again, achieve their level of prosperity. So there's a unit on Biddy Mason, who was born a slave and died a millionaire and a great philanthropist that most people do not know, uh, or Elijah McCoy, who was born the child of runaway slaves who became an engineer and inventor and whose products were so superior for the train industry that there were a lot of knockoffs. And when engineers <laughs> went to buy the, these products, they said, and they got, they encountered the knockoffs. They said, no, 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 no. I want the real McCoy. So many Americans may know that term, but they're not familiar with the fact that it's associated with this black engineer. And the idea is that we have, many, many, many of these kinds of stories. And so each month we'll be releasing new content that features figures like this, like Elijah McCoy and Beanie Mason, that represent the Woodson principles. And we'll be laying out, again, this content K to 12. That's the look back. And then the look forward component is focused on those behaviors that we want young people to adopt so that they can dramatically increase their likelihood of personal success. So one of the units that'll be coming out uh, features content associated with the success sequence, which is data that shows that if you finish your education, full-time work of any kind, and then if you have children, marriage first, that data shows that 98% of the people who followed that series of decisions have avoided poverty. 
And so in this curriculum, we'll be teaching in a non-prescriptive way, but it will be showing here are different pathways of decisions that you can make as you enter young adulthood. And you need to know the probabilities of economic success associated with each. So that's just one example of a look forward uh, unit. We'll also have units based on entrepreneurship. How do you uh, raise capital? How do you develop a business idea? So we think that, you know, exactly opposite of what 1619 is hoping to do with their curriculum, this A demonstrates that past and present, there have been people who have succeeded based on embracing the, the founding principles of the country. And then looking forward, here are specific behaviors that we want you to consider as you enter your own young adulthood and your own life. Let me just add that the challenge is it's even more insidious than that. You talked about the importance of character. Well, you got the Smithsonian's African American Museum had a tweet where it had a listing of what is whiteness. And it really denigrated all the bourgeois values. They say hard works, delayed gratification, self-determination, meritocracy. This is whiteness. And this is also being conveyed to children in our schools. If they don't write declarative sentences, well, we must modify it. We must stop teaching Shakespeare. <laughs> but and so after, it was such a, a pushback that the Smithsonian had to take it down within two days. There was such a but it really is an assault on the bourgeois values. But very few of these middle class, uh, rich, angry blacks that I describe them do they teach their children these values. And so I think that it's really insidious that we are we are creating a kind of. Uh, conveying rather to low-income black kids that you have no control over your destiny, that everything that happens to you is a product of something that's happening to you. And nothing is more lethal than giving people a good excuse for their own failure. And that people are motivated and inspired to achieve when they're presented with victories that are possible, not constantly reminding them of injuries to be avoided. And that's what we're trying to do at 1776. We want to offer inspirational stories, not based on fiction, but based upon fact. And so that's what it's all about, is we want to inspire people to change and improve their lives by showing them examples from the past. When white people were at their worst, blacks were at their best. So for our uh, state legislative members and our partners and, you know, the policy walks that love to listen to this podcast, where can they go to find more information about the curriculum? Well, if they go to 1776unites.com, you will see the curriculum uh, prominently featured. And as Bob said, since uh, late September, when we first announced this, we've already had more than 5,000 downloads. Which is which is you know surpassed our expectations, and interestingly, I think uh, close to seventy percent of those who downloaded have self-identified as educators. So we're excited that the content seems to be getting in the hands of teachers. And again, we've only released three units at the high school level of what ultimately will become a K to twelve curriculum. So part of our goal is to gain feedback and real time improve the content as we release it. So 1776unites.com is where you can get the curriculum. And again, it's free of charge. And our hope is that 
wherever character formation is happening of children, that's where this curriculum can be deployed. That is just awesome. In fact, I think I might sign up and take a few of those courses myself. Okay. <laughs> I can't thank you guys enough for being here today. You've been very busy. Um, and you, Bob, I've seen you all over the place. I just, before we close out, wanted to see if um, you wanted to talk about a couple of other, I feel important and timely, documentary projects that you've been featured in. And on the first one, I've seen this movie. It's really showcases the voices of Black American conservatives, which you don't very often hear. And then uh, just recently released is Shelby Steele's film, What Killed Michael Brown. Do you want to talk briefly about those? Yeah, I, I think both films are important because people don't realize that the progress of Black America throughout the century has been determined in part by the quality of the debate within the Black community as to the course forward. Early on, at the turn of the century, we had Marcus Garvey and the Back to Africa movement. They were the recolonizationists, and you had the insurrectionist Nat Turner, and you had the accommodationist Booker T. Washington. And this was very important, but it was all discussing our own agency, what we were going to do not what white people were going to do, what we were going to do in our situation. And then in the 60s, you had, again, another uh, uh, rich debate between the Pan-Africanists, the Black Panthers, the Muslims, SCLC. In one sense, the, the, the civil rights movement had its own Tea Party split between the students and the legal approaches. And that's when you have SNCC, SCLC, Republic of New Africa that sought a separate land inside. So this was a rich. We have not had that quality of debate. And I think it's wholesome that Shelby Steele and Larry Elder would create a, a film, in essence, start the debate within the Black community by showing America that uh, on issues of race and economic, Blacks are not monolithic in our thinking in our action, that we do have diverse points of view and that it is important for these uh, points of view to get expressed. And as Len Lowry wrote back in 1995, that blacks are caught in a racial loyalty trap that prevents them from engaging in communal self-reflection necessary to provide change. And so he said this back in 1995. And so we hope that the films will generate a a high quality of debate and discussion, as it, but it all is centered, that's what's wholesome. It assumes we have agency, mm-hmm. that we have capacity to think, and, and, and unlike others who are, and I guess I'm appalled that the civil rights leaders are, are silent on some of these abuses of the civil rights legacy, and as someone said, what one permits you promote. And I think that's what we are challenging, that the silence on the part of the civil rights leadership in the face of the abuse of that legacy, we want to draw attention to it and call them out. And that's a part of the debate that these films are provoking. Well said. I really feel, I'm so glad that you are on this path. And I feel like this is the next generation of the civil rights movement, if you will, in some ways. So thank you so much. We greatly appreciate your time. I think we'll ask Dan to close us out. 
And uh, unless there's anything else you'd like to share with our members, gentlemen. I think we've covered it. Justin, right. thank you for the opportunity. Of course. Yes, thank you. Thank you, guys. It does bring us to the end of our segment today. I've been Dan Reynolds, your host of Alec Across the State, sitting down with Sherry Street, the Alec Vice President for Policy Advancement. Sherry, thank you so much for organizing this conversation and joining us today. My great pleasure. And joining us as our guests, first, the great Bob Woodson, president of the Woodson Center and founder of 1776 Unites. Bob, thanks so much for zooming in. Thank you. And Ian Rowe, resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, senior visiting fellow at the Woodson Center, and leading the effort behind the curriculum of 1776 Unites. Ian, thanks so much for joining us and giving us all your insight. Thank you. Thank you. And if you're interested in having your ideas featured on Alec Across the States, don't hesitate to email us at acrossthestates at alec.org. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Across the States, the leading state-focused policy podcast presented by the American Legislative Exchange Council, the premier free market organization of and for legislators. To learn more about our work or to make a tax-deductible donation, visit alec.org. Tell us what you think on Facebook and Twitter at Alec States. The views and opinions expressed on Across the States are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the American Legislative Exchange Council. 